Do you like rock music from the 90s up to today? Well, I got a show for you. It's called Stereo Stars. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of that show. It's on every Friday from noon to 1, right here on WMTS 88.3 Murfreesboro. Chris, how do you feel when you listen to 88.3 WMTS? Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. Sounds like you like that station. I bet you'd be upset if you didn't get to hear it. So how do you feel about those other radio stations? You're not going to amount to Jack Squat! You heard the man. 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro is where it's at. It'd be a great idea to listen. Do basketball, choir, drama club, and marching band all have in common? They're all high school activities that offer learning opportunities not necessarily found in the classroom. They take up just a fraction of a typical Tennessee high school's budget, and they go a long way to giving young people the tools they need to thrive. High school activities, they're more than extracurricular. They're extra important, too. This message presented by the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association and the Tennessee Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Morty, I need you to turn to a boombox, Morty. I need you to turn to a boombox like now, Whoa, Morty. What's a boombox, Rick? I, I don't know what that is. That, a, a stereo, Morty. I need to listen to 88.3 WMTS, Morty. They got best sick, tasty jams, Morty. Oh, okay, okay, Rick, I'll, I'll try. Okay, Morty, just think of sick, tasty jams, Morty. The kind of sick, tasty jams that only 88.3 WMTS can provide. Oh, okay, Rick, uh, think of the sick, tasty jams. Uh, uh, I, got, I think I got it. Uh, uh, never mind, Morty. I found a boombox. Never mind. We're good. 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. Riggy diggy tacky, bitch! WMTS programming is made possible by contributions to our station from listeners like you. Thank you. Hey, this is Greta Van Fleet, and you're listening to 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. This is a 2448 show. 
hosted by Adam Brown, produced by Connor Smith. Welcome in to the 2448 show. My name is Adam Brown. Your producer is Connor Smith. Connor, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm feeling kind of hostile, honestly. Yeah, it is It is that week. We've been teasing this week since the beginning of the show. I'm, a, I'm an unapologetic Tennessee fan. Connor is an unapologetic Alabama fan. And it is the third Saturday in October, hate week. Roll side, baby. And we are here to break it all down for you as we are working for the weekend before we get to the third Saturday in October that will take up probably about the whole second half of the show maybe a little bit more um, unfortunately we do have to talk a little bit of Titans and Connor um, the Titans are on by this week so we don't have a game to preview um, but I want to get into the mindset of the franchise right now because you're going into the bye in a position that when teams are where you are, you statistically, um, you know, history shows you statistically don't have what you would consider to be a successful season. Um, and you're in that position in a spot in kind of the, the history of the franchise, kind of the, the story of the franchise moving forward where you're about to have to move on from some guys. You're about to have to reinvent yourself. And I hope that's the way that the Titans are thinking because if they're not, and we've talked about this for two weeks now, if that's not their mindset, they're in a position where they could get trapped. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I mean, I know last week I said that they would be kind of stupid to retool and trade people otherwhere. But after last week's performance, I mean, it's just it's honestly disappointing because you held the Ravens to under 350 yardage-wise, and you had a chance to win that game, and you sent the guys out there that, that could win it. I mean – I think at one point it was one score game, two or three times they just couldn't get it done. Yeah, and the main question that I have as far as a plan moving forward is who's in charge, and is that Miss Amy? Is that Rand Carthon? Is that Vrabel? Who who is? And obviously Amy is the owner, but who is in in Carthon is the GM? But who is who is leading the who is leading the vo- who's the leading voice in the conversation of what to do next? Whose voice is rising above the others and taking charge and saying, this is what we have, this is what we're going to do, this is what the next five years for us looks like? Because that's, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about whether or not they squeak into the playoffs by somehow winning the AFC South over the Colts who don't have their franchise quarterback anymore because Anthony Richardson has had season-ending surgery and C.J. Stroud, who's playing really well for the Texans, but – they're not a good team overall and the Jags who have been struggling and Trevor Lawrence is hurt now. So I don't really care if you squeak into the playoffs by beating those three teams and losing the first round by 45. Like that doesn't do anybody any good. And it sticks you with the 25th overall pick. And then you, then you're really in trouble. So the, the conversations that need to be happening in the building, like of course you need to have a plan for the rest of the season because that's where you're at. But the serious conversations need to be, happening about the next five years and and what your path is moving forward yeah I mean obviously need to look look forward trade some guys away but your question about who's running the show I mean I would think that Vrabel has some input but Ron is ultimately the guy but the way that Vrabel, Vrabel's been so frustrated with the personnel this year it seems like he has no option and the GM Ron Carthon is just saying hey I'm the guy I'm the guy you know let me work because in years past, he's been able to have some leeway, and he, he seemed like he was happy with who's on the field. This year, it just seems like it's the complete opposite. I think in the past, Vrabel has seemed frustrated, and that was where part of the the conversation on John Robinson came in. It's like, you know, Vrabel's doing the best with what he has. Robinson put him in a bad spot. And they're technically still in that bad spot. It's not like they've had – enough time to get over those mistakes that Robinson has made but a lot of people said over this offseason that Vrabel was going to have more more input and I think he does but he still seems frustrated by the players that are out there on the field and if that's the case if you're frustrated and you don't think you've got the guys 
then the trade deadline that's coming up, you have to make that apparent. You have to yeah. show, hey, as far as a, as a franchise, you have to show the rest of the league and you have to show your fans, hey, we're selling because we're not happy with what's out there. Not we're going to sit and we're going to try and make things better because if, if, if Vrabel's frustrated, then you know he doesn't have the guys. So go get rid of the ones that aren't working and start to build your roster back up because this isn't a win-now team. So when, when you're a trade deadline, it's not like, oh, well, they don't like the guys they have, so they can go get some new ones. This roster is in such a bad shape that they have to restart. It's not like two or three holes that if they can plug a vet in there, they'll be right in Super Bowl con contention. That's not the situation. Um, so moving forward, I think it needs to be a rebuild, and they need to just kind of suck it up and have that mindset. <clears throat> like, I know that's, that's tough. That's a hard pill to swallow like we talked about last week. Um, but eventually everybody has to do it unless you're a dynasty, which is special like we talked about because they evolve rather than reset. This Titans mm -hmm. team obviously missed being a dynasty, as most teams do. That's not the standard, but they missed out on that. It's time to reset. Yeah, I mean, I think what you do first off is get rid of Tannehill's contract. Like, just You have to eat some of it, but he is, he is not the guy he used to be. Clearly, he had another uh, disappointing game on Sunday and Malik Willis say what you want about him he stepped in I thought he played pretty well I mean four for five for about 80 yards have three carries for 20 yards I mean he played well with what he had he he held on to the ball a little too long which seems to be his issue every time he plays but that's fixable but though it is fixable and you you spent a third round pick and a second round pick in in a really crucial time for the franchise you spent a second round pick and a third round pick on quarterbacks so Tannehill needs to be trade target number one yeah. because regardless of whether or not you think Malik and Levis are better, you spent a second-round pick and a third-round pick on him, and you know Tannehill's not the guy, so you can either keep trotting him out there to not be the guy or you can invest a little bit of time and snaps into the two guys that you spent high-value picks on. Even if you don't think they're going to be the guy, you might as well put them out there so that you at least get something – out of the picks that you used, and then maybe one of them turns out, but you have to play them to know. Yeah. But the, the whole thing, going back to the Levis pick, nobody passes on their guy. And the Titans passed on both of these guys in the first round and the second round for Willis and the first round for Levis. So that's not a vote of confidence to me. No. Uh, I will say, I mean, I, I understand why they, they pass on Willis because everyone knew who's a project, and he had a rough year last year. And this is just like half a game, so you can't really judge off that. But in the time he's played this year, he has looked solid to pretty good. But, yeah, you got to get Ryan Tannehill out of there. only problem is who's going to take on that contract and his, his playing ability because at this point he's like a backup at best. Yeah, the contract is definitely going to be tough. I That's the thing is – because he's such a liability for the Titans and, you know, you immediately jumped like, well, let's just trade him. That's the next question is, like, if you don't want him, you've got to find somebody that does. And now that the Jets are playing decent with what they've got, it, with uh, Zach Wilson, it's the trade options are slim for, for Tannehill. I'll be honest, the only, the only guys I could see going after him are – the Bears because of Fields, but at that point, they'll probably just tank to get Caleb Williams or let Fields come back, or like the Commanders, because they have somehow, somehow also, it's not, not working well, and they could add Tannehill as like a veteran presence. Yeah, and the, the, the best option would be somebody that had a rookie or a, a veteran that got hurt, and they just need somebody to fill that spot because they feel like they've got pieces around that could help and I, the the Jets were a perfect example but then now I don't think they need they need Tannehill to compete especially because Aaron Rodgers is wearing some magical shoes that are going to allow him to come back in the playoffs but I, I think moving forward the Titans give Malik you know two to three games see what you've got if you don't like the way it looks then you put Levis out there and you leave him there for the rest of the season even if he goes oh and however many games are remaining just see what you, you have you just put him out there and you let him you let him keep playing and it's not it's tough to say that because I'm not sure how fair that is given the Titans offensive line situation but you've got to see what you've got because if it plays out that way and this team is as bad as it's looking like they may be 
and you've got a shot at a Michael Penix, at a Bo Nix, at a Drake May, you can't spend another pick on a quarterback unless you know you have to. And the only way you know you have to is if you evaluate Will Levis and Malik Willis in-game. So if this team ends up having the draft spot that it looks like they may have where they've got a shot at one of those top guys, if they don't give these rookies enough playing time for it to be obvious that they're not going to pan out another quarterback with a high-value draft pick, if that one also doesn't work out, could sink the franchise for years. Yeah, I mean, going back on that, what if what if Willis and Levis play play both well? Do you trade one and go get another high-profile quarterback? Do you make one the franchise quarterback? What do you do in that situation? If, if one plays well and he looks like he's – well, I'm like, saying like, like both both are playing solid at the same time. I think if they're both playing solid, that's all the better because they're going to push each other. But if one's playing – if they're both playing well and one looks like a starter and one looks like a good backup, then you keep both of them. But if one is pl- – if, if, if they're both playing at like starter caliber, which I'm not really even sure how in that situation you would know that because if one is playing like a starter, you're just going to leave him in. Like, the reason that the Patriots knew that Garoppolo was a starting caliber quarterback that could be a trade piece for them Suspense. is was Tom Brady was suspended. And we don't really have a situation like that where we have our guy and this guy's filling in and, oh, he looks really good. We could get some draft picks for him. We've just got two guys, and we've we got to know who's who's going to be there. So it, it wouldn't if, – if one of them ends up playing really well, it wouldn't surprise me if the other guy just ends up being the Titans' backup quarterback. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I'm not expecting much from either of them. Um, and at the end of the day, I think a really high draft pick for the Titans would be beneficial. And I think getting rid of uh, one or both of them would be the best thing if, if it continues to look like this. And I'm not saying that can't change. And I'm not the biggest Will Levis fan in the world, but I'm not saying he can't improve either. I mean, he has all the, you know, non-statistical things that everybody loved about him in the in the draft process he's he's big he can throw he's got an arm but it's just like he's got to he's got to show up and we've seen a lot of Malik but he still hasn't shown up and so if neither of them do which is kind of what I'm I'm expecting whichever one plays better keep him as the backup use a high draft pick on a Michael Penix preferably because I don't think the Titans will have the number one overall so find a way to get Penix Roll with him, make him your starter. You have to solidify the O line to give him a fair shot at, you know, developing, um, and then keep Willis or Levis as the as the backup, and then trade the other one. And then so in in two years we would have gone from Tannehill, Malik Willis, and Woodside to Tannehill, Malik Willis, and Will Levis to rookie Willis slash Levis and no Tannehill, which that that's that little window of three of three years shows you a lot of what's wrong with this roster at this point. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about the trade deadline and how the Titans need to reset. When we come back from the break, we will tell you who we think the Titans will be shopping at the deadline and where those people could end up. Will the Titans still have Derrick Henry after the trade deadline? We'll let you know right after the break. Hey, this is Taylor Bentley, a.k.a. DJ Tay. And if you're interested in pop music, whether it be indie pop, city pop, K-pop, you name it, you can check out my show, Pop O'Clock, every Friday from 3 to 4 p.m. here on WMTS Murfreesboro. If you ever want to make a song request, call us at 615 898 5051. That number again is 615-898-5051. Snake, what are you doing? Colonel, I'm trying to sneak around, but I'm listening to WMTS, and the blast from my AirPods keeps alerting the guards. to 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. 
WMTS programming is made possible by contributions to our station from listeners like you. Thank you. Chris, how do you feel when you listen to 88.3 WMTS? Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. Sounds like you like that station. I bet you'd be upset if you didn't get to hear it. (laughs) So how do you feel about those other radio stations? You're not going to amount to Jack Squat! You heard the man. 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro is where it's at. It'd be a great idea to listen. to music rock pop jazz well we don't but we play something anyway here on gerald presents every tuesdays from three to four so if you like the sound of listening to something you can find us here at wmts 88.3 murfreesboro Looking for something to keep your Wednesday afternoon occupied? Look no further than The Crash on 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. With a shifting weekly theme, we play everything from indie rock to hyperpop to video game soundtracks. My name's Taylor, and you can find me live every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. to music rock pop jazz well we don't but we play something anyway here on gerald presents every tuesdays from three to four so if you like the sound of listening to something you can find us here at wmts 88.3 murfreesboro Hey, this is Greta Van Fleet, and you're listening to 88.3 WMTS, Murfreesboro. This is the 2448 Show, hosted by Adam Brown, produced by Connor Smith. Welcome back to the 2448 Show. I'm your host, Adam Brown. Your producer is Connor Smith, and we are back to discuss the Titans and the trade deadline. Connor, um, the Titans, obviously, you and me both think that they're at a point where um, they need to be sellers and not buyers at this deadline. So who do you have the Titans selling here over the next few weeks? Yeah, I mean, if you can, Ryan Tannehill, that would take a lot of work. But three guys I'm really looking at are – D-Hop, Kevin Byard, and Derrick Henry. Sad to say because Derrick Henry and Kevin Byard are like, you know, like, the tit- like they're just titans. Um, but, I mean, those are probably the three best value guys you can get. Maybe a first for Derrick Henry and like some second or third rounders for Kevin and, and D-Hop, just most value for for your buck. I don't know that um, – so, so Derrick – obviously Derrick and Tannehill are going to get the most attention when it comes to like, you know, talking about this and discussing it because – Especially with Derek, like that—that's kind of a soul crusher. If you've been a—if you've been a Titans fan for a while, um, but unfortunately, it probably would make sense for the franchise at this point. But the one that you mentioned that I don't think enough people are talking about is D Hop, because D Hop signed a really team-friendly contract, and he's still got a year left on it. So whoever traded for him, it wouldn't just be a rental for the rest of the season. You would have him next year too. Um, and obviously for this for this Titans team, if they sell like we're hoping they're going to sell at the deadline, having D-Hop next year doesn't help you. No. Because you would just have a really great receiver out there as you go 5 and 11, 5 and 6, 5 and, sorry, 5 and 12 or whatever. Yeah, that's right, 5 and 12. It's like that meme where it's like the Lambert, like the Bugatti, like at the trailer park. Yes, yes. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be no reason to have him out. Like it would be nice for like – if the Titans do go with that rookie quarterback draft pick that I was talking about, or if they do throw Levis or Willis out there as the day one starter, um, it'd be nice for them to have him as a go-to. Um, but you've got Traylon Burks for that, and I don't think either of us think that Traylon needs to be traded. Um, no. So 
you know, having him on, on one more year on his deal isn't as valuable as the picks that you could get for him and then have a rookie on a rookie contract. So I think D hop is probably the biggest trade asset this team has other than Derek, except for Derek probably will be, um, Derek will be sent to a contender that needs a solid piece in the backfield to kind of push them over the edge. Um, and I think like the Bills would be a really good spot for him. Yep. Um, he he's gonna want to go somewhere where uh, he can ring chase towards the end of, back end of his career. I, I think the Bills would make sense. Um, although I don't think this would happen, I think the Eagles would make sense. It would. Um, I mean, they already have D Swift, so. Yeah, but that'd be a really good change up if you had Derrick Henry and DeAndre Swift. But they're they're not going to invest the capital in that. They probably feel that they can get there without Derek. So I, there wouldn't be a really a reason to do that. But. I'd say I'd say one that really stands out to me is the Rams. Um, you know they they have the, those studs at receiver Nakawa, however you say his name, and Cup, and then Stafford. They just lost basically all their running back aside of Zach Evans. So you, you go in there, you can say, hey, you guys you guys need a running back. You got a, a good team around you. You're pushing for the playoffs. Get Derek Henry. You know, give us a first round pick. That's all you want. They probably give in if they even have first round picks. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's the question. Is do, does L A have any first I round they picks do. I think left it's like next year? Yeah, we would we'd get a. I don't. I don't think they would give a first round pick for Derek. But at least get a if they did, you wouldn't be able to cash in on that for another three years when the Rams' first round picks actually restock. <laughs> but I, I think Derek is probably worth like a second, um, and I think that's if the Titans get a good deal on him. Um, I could see maybe like. Uh, I, I I don't think the Titans are going to be looking for any kind of reimbursement on like the the player end. Um, just if just they're if they're capital. if they're smart, it, it should just be draft capital. Um, so I would think maybe like a second and a third for for Derek. If there's a team that has an extra second or an extra third, uh, that would be willing to do that because they would still have that other pick as insurance. Um, but yeah, it, it would be a contending team. I I don't know where the um. I, I saw somebody tweet the Saints as a landing spot, and I don't I don't see that they've got they've got Kamara and Kendra Miller, and then uh, Williams. So yeah, I, the Bills and the Rams are kind of the two that uh, that make the most sense to me. Also, the Vikings, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they the problem with that though is they didn't want to pay Cook, so why would they take on Henry's contract? That's and true. so that one I don't really think the. the the Eagles make sense to me, but I don't think they – honestly, I, I think they're one of the few teams in the league that could be like, ah, we don't really need him. Like, like they're fine where they're at. Like, they're in a tough division because of the Cowboys, but, like, they don't really need that help. They can get there without Derek. Yeah. I'd say, you know, to go back with the, with Kevin Byard and the Eagles, I can see the Eagles go after him because they need some, some secondary help. They lost Gardner Johnson last year. Um yeah, I, I can see them, Chiefs, Niners, Lions, because all those teams are, are contenders that need secondary help. And I think you send Kevin Byard to a contender because he's given you his all as a, as a Titan. Like, you know, like let him go out on a good team. I, I think you um, – I think with D-Hop, you definitely – like that's 100% you trade D-Hop because yeah. you can get picks back and it doesn't really make sense for you to have him on a one-year deal. Um Bayard, I think you give him the option of a pretty big contract restructure or you trade him because Bayard, it would make sense to keep if you can. True. Um, but I think only if the contract situation makes sense for you as a franchise. And right now, I, I don't know that it does considering what you could potentially get back for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Hooker right behind him uh, to kind of still be that um, – that, that steady piece in the secondary. So um, the the thing that's intriguing to me, and we hit on this earlier, is is where Tannehill could even go. Because you don't want to – you don't want to cut him. You don't want to keep him. So trading him is the best option, but who's going to take him? I think you, you could do something where you send him to maybe even like, like the Colts or someone who needs a quarterback and say, listen, we'll eat like this percentage of his contract. If you take him, all I want is – like a fifth round, six round draft pick because he's not really worth much. You that's know? that's what I was gonna say though. Is the problem for the Titans is the quarterback needy teams right now consist of the Colts, and that's that's about it. 
and you're not going to send Ryan Tannehill to the Colts. No, I mean, I, I could see him going like to the Commanders because they have quite a bit of cap space. You could say, wait up $10 million of his contract a year, and you can have a quarterback that can either start or back up somehow or like even a little bit of both. If they feel that they're a veteran presence at quarterback away from being able to challenge Dallas and Philly, then that would make sense. But do they feel that way is the question. Um, I think they do have a pretty talented roster. They've got a good defense, so maybe a veteran presence is what they need. But the problem is since that Bengals game, Tannehill has – and, you know, it's a two-way street. This is the reason we're trading him. If this didn't happen, we probably wouldn't be trading him. But since that Bengals game in the playoffs, his value – has shot straight down and he's shown that a he has an ankle problem now he's injured the same ankle two years in a row and b his quality of play has decreased pretty significantly so um, anything you were going to be able to get from him had he continued to play well um, you're not getting that anymore so what would the what would the commanders be willing to give up I'm not, not sure I, I think Derek is probably a combination of like a, a second and a, and a late pick or like a third and another middle round pick. I think you at least get two for him. Um, maybe just a second or maybe a second and a sixth, something like that. I think you like get that. a second and a fourth or second and third for Derek. I think a second and a fifth, somewhere, something along those lines makes sense. I don't think you're, I don't think with any of these guys you're reaching into first round pick territory, but imagine the combination of, you know, high mid round picks that you get by getting rid of, Buyer, D-Hop, Henry. That gives you a package where you could potentially, you know, trade up, package a couple of those back together, send those along, and then you trade up and get probably not Caleb Williams, but maybe Michael Penix, maybe Drake May. Yeah, I don't know. But those three guys, you you really trade, you know, you can get some good stuff for them, but Tannehill, I think you just – you can almost pay someone to take Tannehill. Just get him off the roster. I don't know if it's it's not like a toxic player situation. It's just the, the money is not just good. The, the money does not make sense at this yeah. point, especially with the return that you're getting. Um, when we come back, it is third Saturday in October hate week, and we've got 30 minutes to spend on Tennessee and Alabama, and we will give you our picks for that game as well as the rest of the games around the SEC this weekend. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. College football coming up next. Hey everybody, my name's Emma Funk, and you can listen to the Funkadelic Mix on Wednesdays 3 to 4, where I pretty much play everything. Hope you tune in. Howdy folks, my name is Caitlin Butts, and you're listening to WMTS 88.3 in Murfreesboro. Looking for something to keep your Wednesday afternoon occupied? Look no further than The Crash on 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. With a shifting weekly theme, we play everything from indie rock to hyperpop to video game soundtracks. My name's Taylor, and you can find me live every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Hope to see you there. What do basketball, choir, drama club, and marching band all have in common? They're all high school activities that offer learning opportunities not necessarily found in the classroom. They take up just a fraction of a typical Tennessee high school's budget, and they go a long way to giving young people the tools they need to thrive. High school activities, they're more than extracurricular. They're extra important, too. This message presented by the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association and the Tennessee Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association.
What do basketball, choir, drama club, and marching band all have in common? They're all high school activities that offer learning opportunities not necessarily found in the classroom. They take up just a fraction of a typical Tennessee high school's budget. And they hey, this is Greta Van Fleet, and you're listening to 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. This is the 2448 show, hosted by Adam Brown, produced by Connor Smith. Welcome in to the 2448 show. We are back, and it is the third Saturday in October hate week whoop, between whoop. Tennessee and Alabama. And me and Connor Smith are here to break it down for you, as well as the rest of the games around the SEC this weekend. But first, Tennessee got a win against Texas A&M in a big game at <coughs> home against the number one rushing defense. Connor, was it the number one rushing defense in the SEC or the country? I think number one in the SEC and top five in the nation. Either way, it was a very impressive win because they had, what, 250 on, on A&M? When you take away the, the sacks and the negative plays, it was around 275, I believe. What was the net, do you know? Uh, around 250. I think <sighs> you were right. So um, that that legitimized this running game for sure. Um when some people wanted to see can they do it against the Aggies, and, and they did. And not only did they rush for that many yards, but they shut down Texas A&M's run game. So the defense has been validated, I believe. The running game has been validated. Um, and the only question left is really just the passing game. Um, and Tennessee has yet to put it all together. Could this be the week? I don't know. It's on the nope, road. I don't think so. It's on the road at Alabama, so we will see. But with the running backs proving that they really do have what I think is the best running back room in the country and the best rushing offense in the country, what does that mean moving forward? Well, moving forward, I mean, we talked about it if you can still like, you know, after the Florida game, you shouldn't know what you had. At this point, you know what you had. You got a, a ground ground pounding attack that's gonna probably get around 200 on everyone in the country you've got a passing game that is inconsistent but at this point it's sh it's shown and they've not played like a truly like elite team yet but I mean Milton played atrocious on Saturday and they still won by found a way to win by seven points now it was at home but that that's a win against a good team so Tennessee they can get their passing attack going with a defensive run game I think they could be honestly a, a top 10 team that's pushing for a New Year's Six Bowl yeah definitely and I think it speaks to the coaching job that Heupel has done and the quality of him and his staff that this team's strengths and weaknesses are completely different than the strengths and weaknesses of the past two years' teams. And they have evolved and changed with it and are finding ways to win in ugly games like that game against Texas A&M. Was the Florida game their best moment? Not even close. But they've rebounded really well and now know exactly what they've got in this 2023 edition of the Tennessee Vols and it's exactly like you said it's a it's a rushing attack that you can count on to get theirs against just about anybody that you play against so it comes down to can Joe Milton execute in the passing game with the running backs taking that pressure off of him so far he hasn't been able to but he's in a position where a lot of quarterbacks would kill somebody to be uh, in a position like this because you've got run the running game is strong takes the pressure off of you the o-line is i would say at least good they're solid uh, they're, they're, they're not good. they're not they're good they're not elite they're you good. could say they're good yeah. i'm not gonna go great i think cooper mays being back kind of pushed them more towards great than average um and they've been great the past couple weeks so you know you've got that o-line in front of you the run game is strong um, you've got a defense that's going to keep you in just about any game. Um, so all you've got to do is execute. And so, I mean, I say just about every week when Joe comes out on the field for a, a crucial a crucial drive, the, the thing that I find myself thinking is, like, just Joe, just make good decisions. Like, that, that's all they're asking him to do is make good decisions and find the open guy. And there was one time on Saturday that he did that, and it wasn't his fault that it was a touchdown. Or Mel Keaton dropped a wide-open walk-in touchdown. So Joe has his mistakes, and I think sometimes when Joe shows up, the people around him 
um, their mistakes kind of happen at the wrong times. Uh, so, like like I said earlier, is this the week where they kind of put it together? In Tuscaloosa is kind of a tough place to do that. But speaking of Tuscaloosa, Tennessee at Bama, revenge game. Joe Milton leads the Tennessee Volunteers into hostile territory in Tuscaloosa against Nick Saban, Jalen Milrow, and the Alabama Crimson Tide. I believe that this game, and, and we'll get deeper into this and, and the why behind it and all the little things that go into this, but I, I think the game purely rests on both quarterbacks' shoulders, which is the way that a lot of big games like this, uh, it comes down to the quarterbacks. Um, but this one specifically, I think, comes down to both quarterbacks, but specifically how both guys overcome their respective weaknesses, weaknesses and challenges, how they – how they pref- how they execute that day, their mindset that day, how they how they wake up and recognize this is what I need to do better today, and whether or not they're able to do so. Yeah, I mean both guys, as you said, have have had their trials and tribulations. I mean, but I would say Milro has the edge on this one, and I think Milton's probably the X factor for Tennessee. But as far as Bama go, I'm going to say the offensive line is probably the X factor because. This is a little different. We saw Milro whenever they sell it on the run and make Milro throw the ball. He threw for, for 300 plus on AM. So, I mean, I think Tennessee thinks they can stop the run. They'll, they'll kind of just, um, you know, sell it on the pass rush, try to get Milro uncomfortable. But also, if you do that and Bama starts popping off, you know, some runs for four, five, six yards, then you have to start worrying about both at that point. Can the offensive line hold up against their pass rush and the run blocking? So. Milrow, we talked about this earlier, his his hurdle that he has to overcome this weekend for uh, for Bama to be successful and to win this game is consistency. Yes. So um, for me, for Joe, I think it's purely mental. I don't think – and I don't, I don't want that to sound – Joe is not a, an unintelligent person. Um, if you listen to Joe talk, he seems like, like a super nice, smart guy, really intelligent. Um, but when I say mental – I think he gets too amped up. I, th- I think Joe gets <laughs> excited to go out there and play with his guys. Um, and I, I think before the game, you can see he's out there having a good time. Like, he's ready to go. And I think he maybe gets a little bit too over the top, a little bit too ready to go, and that results in some mental mistakes. So most of the time I would tell you for a big SEC football game, you want your guys, like, chomping at the bit. But with Joe, I think maybe a little bit of, like – and like like specific focused repetitive going over like this is what I need to do in this moment this weekend and being very 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 focused on the task at hand his job and how to execute it at a high level yeah I mean I think like you said you want your guy being ready to go but also I mean Hawk, uh, Malik and Moore talked about it today or not today but yesterday at the Bama press conference and you know this kind of game it's gonna be a heavyweight fight you you can't get too high and too low. I mean, it's it's good for Milton to get amped up on it, but he's got to con- you know um, compose himself and not get you know too in the moment. So we said that Milrose cha- Joe's challenge is mental and not in a not an unintelligent kind of way, but a, a mental mistakes kind of way. Like do your job, do it well, do it at a high level. Um, don't try to do too much, and maybe don't don't have those lapses. Don't have the lapses like when he run he ran out of bounds um, against Texas A&M instead of lowering his shoulder and picking up an easy first down, which caused them to miss out on points. So don't have the lapses. Do your job. Do it at a high level and do it with consistency. And you said consistency was Milrow's hurdle this weekend. Yes. So how does that play into this game? What does Milrow need to do? And how does he become more consistent on Saturday? Uh, I mean, just really trusting his reads, trusting in his offense, because last week against Arkansas, going into halftime, he was 7 for 10 for 215 and two touchdowns, no picks. Um, and then in the locker room, it's like it's like he took that and like, threw it like out the window and was, I think, 4 for 13 for 45 yards that second half. He's got to just sit in there and do his job and remember, you know, what he's doing. He also needs to start running the ball more which he's not ran the ball like at all the last probably two games or so. Everyone believes that he is partially injured, even though like Bama shut that down before the AM game, but I'm starting to believe it myself because he's not 
running the ball as effectively, which I think that could really hurt us because Tennessee has a really good pass rush. But Miller has just has to stay consistent and trust his reads and his his process. Well, I think that the the game itself rests on the shoulders of the two quarterbacks and how they're going to handle the moment. I think that's the the quickest and easiest way to say it is which quarterback grabs this moment and mm-hmm. runs with it. Who yep. who handles the spotlight better um, on Saturday? Um, and I think I think the key for Tennessee is um, is early success. Um, Bryant Denny, Denny is going to be loud, and Tennessee in this offense has struggled on the road um, in environments like this. So the two big keys for Tennessee when the game starts. These these are if if the if they can do these two things, the game will be close or they will be leading at halftime. Tennessee has to get off the field on two of Bama's first four third downs. Two of the first four. And I'm not saying if they don't do that that it can't be tied or close, but I'm saying if they do, it will happen. Yeah. If they get off the field on two of Bama's first four third downs and secondly hit a big player score a touchdown in two of the first four of their own drives that's going to knock the crowd out of the game it will immediately instill a rhythm in this offense and it will become a rock fight and you would think I would say shoot out there but I don't think either of these two teams are scoring more than 30 on the respective defenses so that's why scoring like that and really I said two of four you have to get one out of your first three is yeah. a better way to say it. If you get one out of your first three, then you've you've shown yourself we're here, we're in this. The moment's not too big. Let's play our game. Let's play football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's really the key thing because both these defenses are elite, top ten in the country. You know, I don't think anyone would would dispute that. But the offenses are very very suspect. So if with one or both offenses can can get it going. Um, be really, really, really interesting to see, but it's, I'm with you. I don't think anyone scores more than probably 20 to 25 points a game, like, you know, between both of them. So, I think um, I've, I've heard some stats this week that really point to point in Tennessee's favor. Like, Alabama's one of four SEC teams that average uh, less than four yards a carry, I think, was one of the stats that I heard. And um, I saw a chart that I, I sent to you where um, it showed – the O-lines in the country, their pressure allowed versus sack ratio. Uh, and it was one of those charts where it's, you know, it's the four quadrants. And the, yeah. more, the further you are into the top right, the better you are. Um, you know, top left, you're maybe good at one thing but not so good at the other. Bottom right, same thing. And then bottom left is you're allowing a lot of pressure and a lot of sacks. Yeah. Uh, Texas A&M and South Carolina were both in that bottom left quadrant. Uh, and Tennessee's defensive line had a really good day against both of those teams. Alabama is also in that quadrant. So Tennessee's defense, and I, and I think this is where the run game we talked about is so huge. You know now that the run game is going to get theirs. So you can you can lean on that. You can rely on that. You know that Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, Dylan Sampson, they're going to go out there, they're going to pick up first downs, they're going to get yards, and you can rely on them to keep the chains moving. So for Joe – you know that the run, like I said, just, like I just said, the run game is there. Your defense will be there based on Alabama's offensive line struggles. Can you just execute your job at a high level consistently? And that's all he has to do is just his job. Yeah, I mean that's that's what both guys have to do. Um, well, not really Bama so much because the run game has been very very poor. We picked up last week, average about after after taking sacks away because Miller got sacked like five times. I think they average about six a, a yard a carry, which I mean it's nearly up there with Tennessee. So I think Milton has to go out there and play his game. If he goes out there and plays his game and doesn't make mistakes, I think Tennessee wins the game. So I think over this over the course of this week, with you saying you think Tennessee wins, not that you're picking Tennessee to win, but you you're seeing more pathways for Tennessee to win. I think you and me have both convinced each other to come more to the middle as yep. this week has gone on because I'm seeing more pathways for Alabama to win and you're seeing more pathways for Tennessee to win, which part of me leans towards like I'm not picking Tennessee to beat Alabama in Alabama until I see it, and that's I'm still kind of stuck there. But the, the more stats, like what I just broke down with the, with the O-line and the run game, the more this points to 
Tennessee having a legitimate shot in this game, but the fact that it's at Alabama just really, I think, is something that's immeasurable, um, especially with this ten- this this team's struggles on the road recently. But um, the the other thing that I wanted to talk about is Alabama's offense and how you and you and me have talked about this. Mm. They they give up that pressure, so their offense looks like a run up the middle a sack for like a loss of 10 and you think you've got them and then they hit a 70 yard bomb over your head for a touchdown so I want to see what you think about this that offense operating like that versus the way that people attack Tennessee's defense because the reason that Tennessee's secondary has seen such a resurgence this year is the level at which the front four are getting pressure on the quarterback so what you have to do as the offense is get the ball out quicker and that's only going to help your secondary. And that's why they're having such a good year is they're not having to cover people down the sideline as much because the mm-hmm. quarterbacks don't have time to throw those deep shots. They don't have time for the deep crosser. They're having to get the ball out quick. Florida got the ball out quick. It was all run. It was The run game was there because the, the defensive line had a, had a pretty poor day. Um, and so did the linebackers and the, the tackling was not there. But uh, honestly, that Florida game, I hate even using it as an example because everything went wrong. And that's another thing that Tennessee has to avoid is everything going wrong on the road. But if we take this team for what it is and what we've learned over the past few weeks, the way you attack it is you get the ball out quick because the defensive line will be there. And with Alabama's O-line, the defensive line will be there. So if Alabama's recipe for success is big plays and deep shots down the field, how are they going to be able to do that with the defensive line getting that much pressure on the quarterback if the way that you attack this offense is quick passes. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know, I'll be honest with you. Um, we did it really, really well against I'm just I'm just slowly moving you into a Tennessee pick. That's this all. That's, that's what the whole purpose of today was. Um, UC and, and A&M have very, very similar uh, defenses, and Bama, Bama hit, I think, six or seven like deep shots on them. I think Tennessee obviously has a better defensive front. I think what you do is you hit some check downs, some short stuff to make them not – stop rushing the, the guys much but like having like you know to watch for the check downs too and at that point you get a one-on-one with like Burton and Kamal Haddon and at that point that's in Bama's favor in my opinion so I think the big thing is getting the ball out quickly and making Tennessee's defense stay honest so that was Tennessee's recipe against Texas A&M that we talked about that's what you and me thought they mm-hmm. should do is you know you use your receivers as an extension of the run game um, you you bring the front seven in and then maybe you hit shots down the field and Tennessee wasn't able to do that and still won the game because their rushing attack was so good so if let's say the pressure on on Milrow is enough to you know get him off platform and he's not able to set up and throw those deep shots does Alabama have an alternative like Tennessee's run game that can get them out of a tough spot I don't know. I mean, the run game has been very, very inconsistent. Like I said, they were they were good last week, but um, the the Arkansas defense and the Tennessee defense is just like miles apart. So if you get in that that spot, I mean, I think there's 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 a point where Miro he can make some some deep shots. It's not near as consistent, but if if they get Miro on his like on his off game, I. I, I'm really nervous at that point, honestly. And I, I think all this stuff we're talking about is why everybody expects this to be such a low-scoring game. And, you know, I joked that I was trying to push you into a Tennessee pick. I don't think any of this stuff, you know, guarantees a Tennessee win. I think it guarantees a low-scoring game. I think this will be an absolute rock fight. And mm-hmm. that's why my – if if you want to say three keys, the first key is Milton, the second key is Milrow. The third key, and this is for both teams – Trenches. For me, it's special teams. Really? It's field position. Because if you turn the ball over, you know, inside your own 45, all of a sudden this low-scoring game, they've almost got a free three points right there if they pick up a first down. So you want to make the other team, both teams, want to make the other team drive the full length of the field. We need – both teams need good punts, good punt coverage, good kick coverage, and no special teams lapses, especially on Alabama's end, yeah. because if you lapse for a second, D. Williams will make you pay. And I think that's another advantage that Tennessee has in this game is their special teams is rated really highly in national statistics. Um, I'm not familiar with with Bama's, but I'm I mean, 
knowing the way that they build their roster, I'm, I'm sure they're up there as well. They do have an All-American. Um, he was he was second-team All-American last year at, at returner, Quilly McKinstry. But also something I think that really really goes in Bama's favor, it's kind of like an underrated factor that not many people are looking at, is the fact that Bama has, in my biased opinion, probably the best kicker in the country, Will Rackard. That can I could I could def I don't think that's biased I could definitely see that I mean and he can hit stuff I've seen him hit from like fifty seven fifty eight like near sixty so if you get the ball anywhere within like probably sixty yards there's a good chance he's gonna get you three points unless it's like a thirty eight yarder at Tennessee going into the north end zone um, then he pushes it wide right but this Jeez. is this is at this is at Bryant Denny so I'm sure he's more comfortable there but I, I that's why. I mean, I mean, obviously trenches are huge, but trenches are huge in every SEC game, and that's, that, that's always going to be there. But I think the three keys for this one are Joe Milton, Jalen Milrow, and special teams. Um, last week, my kind of insight insight key was how successful Tennessee was on first and second down, and I think the run game allowed them to be extremely successful on first and second down. And you saw the times where they were not, and they got behind the chains, they struggled. Um, and so this week. I'm looking at special teams. Um, that will be a huge factor in this game, I believe. Uh, when we come back, we will have the full SEC picks for the weekend, including our third Saturday in October picks. And hopefully neither of us get too upset. Uh, but luckily there's a pretty thick table in between us. <laughs> Dude, I'll, I'll Hey, this is Taylor Bentley, a.k.a. DJ Tay. And if you're interested in pop music, whether it be indie pop, city pop, K-pop, you name it, you can check out my show, Pop O'Clock, every Friday from 3 to 4 p.m. here on WMTS Murfreesboro. Who's that Do you like listening to music? Rock? Pop? Jazz? Well... We don't, but we play something anyway. Here on Gerald Presents, every Tuesdays from 3 to 4. So, if you like the sound of listening to something, you can find us here at WMTS 88.3 Murfreesboro. WMTS programming is made possible by contributions to our station from listeners like you. Thank you. You're listening to WMTS 88.3 Murfreesboro. Now, let's get back to the music. What do basketball, choir, drama club, and marching band all have in common? They're all high school activities that offer learning opportunities not necessarily found in the classroom. They take up just a fraction of a typical Tennessee high school's budget, and they go a long way to giving young people the tools they need to thrive. High school activities, they're more than extracurricular. They're extra important, too. This message presented by the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association and the Tennessee Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. What do basketball, choir, drama club, and marching band all have in common? They're all high school activities that offer learning opportunities not necessarily found in the classroom. They take up just a fraction of a typical Tennessee high school's budget, and they go a long way to giving young people the tools they need to thrive. High school activities, they're more than extracurricular. They're extra important, too. This message presented by the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association and the Tennessee Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Welcome back to the 2448 Show. I am your host, Adam Brown. Your producer is Connor Smith. And as we wrap up today, we've got our picks for around the SEC this weekend. The Titans are on by, so we do not have a Titans pick for you uh, this weekend. But as far as the SEC goes, it is third Saturday in October hate week. We are leaving that pick for last so we are starting with Mississippi State going to Arkansas. Arkansas is a six and a half point favorite. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Arkansas is a very dangerous team. They're at home, but they really showed that they can compete with pretty much anyone in the SEC, and uh, Mississippi State is mid. If Arkansas can put it together, you know, can stay consistent, they'll win by 10, 14 points. I think they cover. Arkansas, I've, I've been saying for weeks, Arkansas is going to sneak up on somebody, and obviously this isn't that game because they're favored, but I think they're favored for a reason, and I've got Arkansas big in this one. Um, Arkansas, I'm, I'm maintaining that they will beat someone soon that they're not supposed to. They've got Auburn coming up. They've got Florida coming up. They've got Missouri coming up. And in one of those games, they will be an underdog, and they will win outright. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of games this season where they – were very close to pulling an upset and just couldn't do it at the end. Uh, I think they're a more talented team than their roster says at two and five, and that's why they're favored by um, over a touchdown or you know right at a touchdown uh, over a team that has a better record than them, Mississippi State. So uh, give me the Hogs. And in the next game, we've got South Carolina going to Missouri. Missouri is six and one. South Carolina is two and four, and Missouri is a seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, is uh, one of those teams, kind of like Arkansas, where, I mean, they, they don't look good, but at points they can sneak up and get you. So it's really interesting. I'm taking Missouri to win, but I think SC will cover the 7.5-point spread. Yeah, Missouri and Kentucky both, I feel like, are their records are a product of an easy first-half mm-hmm. schedule. Yeah. Um, and their game was hyped up as a, as a big game. And I'm not saying it wasn't. It was two, um, what were they at the time, 5-0 and o teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, 5-0 and o is 5-0, and o, but – I think it just kind of worked out where both of their schedules were easy enough to where they both had an easy path that collided with each other. Um, and Missouri just happened to come out on top. And then, um, I mean, Kentucky um, Kentucky beat Florida. So it's not like – I don't think either team is bad. I just don't think either team is, that good? is as good as their record says they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Arkansas is a lot better than their record says they are. I would take Arkansas over Kentucky and Missouri right now. Yes. Um, so I think South Carolina definitely um, – I think South Carolina covers. Um, I don't know if they win on the road. If this game was at South Carolina with Sandstorm and all that stuff going on, I, I think South Carolina wins for sure. Yeah. Um, but on the road, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I wouldn't be surprised at all if South Carolina pulls it out. Um, but their O-line really, really just is a liability. So because of that, um, I'm going with Missouri, especially because um, – Brady Cook, that's that's Missouri's quarterback, right? I, yeah. c- I can't remember his first name. Yeah. Um, Brady Cook is uh, is playing very, very well, and I think that continues. And honestly, if you're him, um, I think on the first pass attempt, you maybe just accidentally hit Shane Beamer in the foot um, <laughs> because he decided to kick something in their loss to Florida and broke his foot. So maybe just like ab- like accidentally sail one uh, and just landed on his foot. Yeah, but I, I've, got, I've got Missouri in that one at home. Uh, next one we have Ole Miss at Auburn. Honestly, that one is that's interesting as well because Auburn challenging place to play. Ole Miss clearly the better team, better roster. Um, I think they'll be challenged, but I'm on the lane train this year offensively. I think they win like 45-31. Yeah, um, I've got Aub- I've got sorry, I've got Ole Miss in that one too. Um, sorry, Auburn fans. <laughs> um, Auburn's I, I think Auburn's a better team than than three and three, um, which is why I think. Ole Miss, which is the number 13 team in the country, is only favored by six and a half on the road, um, which I, I think that's fair. So I'll, I'll go with Ole Miss as well. Um, I agree with, with Vegas at that, that six and a half line. Um, and lastly, we have Army going to LSU. Um, it, it's it's Army at LSU. So a- LSU's going to cover this. I'm, I'm going spread. with the Tigers. It's a 32-point spread. Uh, but they do have Daniels, so I, I, I kind of agree with you on that one. Yeah. Last, Here we go. and certainly not least, this could end the show forever, depending on how this next 30 seconds goes. We've got Tennessee traveling to Alabama for the third Saturday in October. Revenge game for the Tide, and a huge game for Tennessee as far as the race for the East goes because they are very, very much in it with a win this week. In Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a really interesting game. You need to talk about over the break. I mean, there's a recipe for someone to get blown out and someone to just go out there and dominate. I mean, it's the room for error is microscopic. Um, if Bama puts together a 60-minute complete game, the fact that it's in T-Town, if it was in Knoxville, I'd say something different. The fact that it's, it's in T-Town, if they put together a full game, I think they win by 
10 to 14 points, maybe 17. But they've not done it all year. They've been very, very inconsistent. So I have UT covering the spread. But I have indeed. Roll Tide. That's so disrespectful. And honestly, I saw it coming because you've been messing with your phone for like 30 seconds over there. Like pause, pausing for like five seconds. Kind of like that between the stuff you were saying because you were too busy typing in whatever <laughs> stupid elephant noise that was. And, um, you know, I was going to, I was going to be nice. I was going to be nice. And I was going to pick, I was going to pick Alabama. I was going to say like 28, 24 Alabama. Um, but, but just for that, I'm going 31, 28 Tennessee with a last second field goal to win the game. Roll balls, baby. No shot. No shot. That is going to do it for us. On the 2448 show, third Saturday in October week. We will be back next week with all of the reaction from the big game this weekend. Um, whoever loses uh, has to post a picture of them in the other team's gear. Um, so you will see us before Monday if you check our socials. But be sure to be here on Monday as we react to the biggest game of the weekend, the third Saturday in October. We will see you Monday night. This is the 2448 show on WMTS Murfreesboro. I am Adam Brown. My producer is Connor Smith. See you all next week. God bless.